I'm going to try and stick to my notes tonight, but I just want to... I want you to uh, listen to something. Uh, just before, I'm just, I'm just doing a lot of research. I'm just finding out what people are saying, what's out there, that sort of thing. But I heard something this week that absolutely it is, I believe it true. How many people believe in aliens? Yeah. How many people here believe in aliens? How many people here believe that aliens have come down and abducted people? I do. Yeah, they're off. If you have a look at the research, here's just a little thing for you. If you have a look at the research, listen, the people are saying the same, 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 same old thing. You know, you've got hundreds of thousands of people saying the same thing. They can't all be wrong. Saying the same message. Now, I heard something. Listen, who are these alien bodies? Who do you think they are? Fallen angels? Demonic? Absolutely. They're demonic. They're completely demonic influences. You know, we've had astronauts who have seen, you know, UFOs, and, and we've got pilots, you know, who have said, what on earth is that? They have been pictured time and time and time and time and time again. And do you know what the New World Order wants? There's a body of people, this Illuminati, whatever you want to call them, skull and crossbones. They are waiting to see a new Atlantis arise. They believe that this alien form is going to come out, land over the top of New York or wherever, you know, and, and literally there is going to be an alien descend and be Jesus to start this new world order. And do you know what? What really struck me, even they are being deceived. Even they are being totally and utterly deceived because all that's going to happen is the Antichrist is going to step onto the scene. And they just set up the whole new world order. It's already set up, folks. This whole new world order, the whole new, new economy that's going to be coming in, it's already set up. It's already there. It's already out in black and white. This is no mystery. They're not even trying to hide it. They're not trying to hide anything. But I heard something that I just thought, yes, that's the Jesus I know. There was um, a researcher who, through this research of looking at all these UFOs, he was a non-believer. And then through it all, he went into the whole mysticism. He went into the whole of the, the New Age movement and he went into transcendental meditation and channeling. I don't know if you know anything about channeling and where you just say, here I am, and whatever comes through, comes through, comes through you. It's called channeling. And he did all of this and then suddenly, you know, it just didn't make any sense to him. And he became a believer. So he, as a believer, he said, well, Lord, I don't want to get involved in this, so I'm going to lay this down. And he had done years of research on UFOs, years of it. And the Lord said, no, I want you to pick it up. And he said, well, Lord, what's, what good's that going to do? He says, go back on it. The answer is in there. And so he went back, and he, he, he went back with his research partner, and they looked at an old uh, um, uh, recording that they did. In fact, it was probably the, the last one before he laid everything down. Recording, and it was there. A believer was captured by this alien, transported up into the ship, and they started doing, and they said, the way that he described it, I heard some of what he was saying, they said the way that he described it, it was like hell on earth. 
It was just unbelievable, pure terror. And he said these things, and the guy missed it as a, as a brand new Christian. He missed what this guy had said. He, the guy then said, what I did is I cried out to Jesus because I'd only been saved the week before. And I cried out to Jesus and said, Jesus, save me. And I was literally flung straight out of where, I, where they, were, they had me and straight onto my bed. Then I woke my wife up. She said, why have you jumped on the bed? So he then, he went and he, he phoned up all of these um, governmental UFO expert, experts. And they said, look, can I just share what's, what I found? You know, I want to know whether you've come across this before. And he shared the story. And this guy said, right, I'm going to go off the record. In other words, I'm not going to tell you who it is, what it is, what, but I'm going to tell you. He started laughing. He says, we have heard this hundreds of times. Hundreds of times where people have been abducted by aliens and suddenly they call upon the name of Jesus and they're totally released. That's the Jesus I believe in. That's the Jesus that, that we have got no fear. When this demonic stuff comes through the door, whatever it is, we've got the name that's above all names. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. We have got such an assurity in his name that his name is the most precious name on our lips. And even if it's the last name that we shout out on this earth, it's the last thing some of us are going to be calling out. Calling out to him. Calling out. I love this whole thing. And I just, you know, this whole thing about Daniel. The whole thing of Daniel, as I said last week, at the age of 14 or 17, was taken out of, of, of his very civilization that he knew and cast into the most demonic, occultish society that you could ever dream of. And this is where we're going to pick it up. It's basically in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Daniel, chapters 1. But I found that interesting. I found that, you know, quite interesting about this whole thing of alien abduction. And, and I mean, it, it's there. It's, it's, it's in black and white. There is so much research. There is too much evidence to say that it doesn't go on. Anyway, in the third year reign of whatever that says, <laughs> I can't pronounce it, Jehovakim, Jehovakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehovakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the articles of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shina, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Stop with me there. That's as far as I got. I just thought, my word, what is all this about? What on earth is this about? Here we have Daniel. He literally woke up one morning in wealth, and by the end of that day, he was in chains. He was only a young guy. He was taken away from people that spoke like him. He was taken away from people that were dressed like him. He was taken away from people that were educated like him. He was taken away where people worshipped like him. He was taken away where people thought like him and played like him. And, and, and he was taken from the very people that he loved and cherished. Incredible when you think about it. As a 14-year-old. And then he was finally taken away and castrated. 
It says in 2 Kings 20, verse 18, And they shall take away some of your sons who will be descended from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And it must be a terrifying thing to find yourself where you wake up one morning and then suddenly you're taken out of everything that you hold on to. And it's never there again. It's not there ever again in your life. You will not even see the city that you were born in ever again. This is what Daniel had to do. And even to the point where they start changing your names, and I'll come on to this a bit later in, a, in, in another talk, probably next week. They changed the name, and they changed Daniel's name. And basically, they changed his name, and they said, you are the son of the devil. That's what they called him. And we'll go into the names that they changed it into. And they basically said, you are the son of the devil. And Daniel did not complain once. In all of this, it didn't, he, you see, Daniel just said, okay, you can do whatever you want to me. You, you can do this and do that, but I will serve my God with everything that I've got, even if I lose my life. I will serve my God. And you know what? In Babylon, they had so many different guards for so many different things, for so many different functions, for so many. They even had baby sacrifice, child sacrifice to these guards. The guards, and we, we've gone into that. If you want to get one of my last a, a talk about the whole thing of Babylon and, and what it represents, these gates, that Babylon, eight gates, and Nebuchadnezzar built the eighth gate, and it was the gate of Ishtar. And read about that or get the talk that I've done explaining all about this. It was portals into the demonic realm like never before. And it was all controlled in Babylon. And you know what? I just get this whole thing of, of so what's Daniel mean to us in the 21st century? Well, I'll tell you one thing. It's no different today. Absolutely no different today. We're finding society saying that all guards lead to one guard. That's what society says. That you, you can be as humanistic as you want to be. As long as you want to do whatever is right for you, then you can go ahead and do it. But all these things lead to one God. And the church are now starting to say the same thing. We are going to see an apostolic church rise up in this day. And we will be slammed when we say that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only way to God. We will be slammed for saying that. Some of us might be in prison. Some of us might even lose our lives for saying that truth. But like society, they say it's okay to worship whatever God you want to do. What tickles you is fine for you. But I tell you now, watch out when you say no. His name is Jesus. That's the only way to God. His name is Jesus. Watch out what happens. And we look at now in today's society, we're swearing. Swearing on the name of Jesus, the most precious name that we can put out of our mouths. They use it as a swear word. They use it as defamatory. They use it as putting Jesus down in the dust and the, the rubbish of this world. We look at homosexuality has become like a norm upon society. The whole thing of creation. God created us man and woman. Man and woman. And man is meant to be woman and woman is meant to be with man. Not woman with woman and not man with man. That's what the Bible teaches. And do you know what we're called when we say that? Bigots. 
were labelled as bigots, as as, and all we're saying is, Lord, this is what it says in your word. We're standing on your word, and they'll say God is a bigot. And they'll start slamming it. They'll say the same thing on the same sex marriage. Do you know? June just alluded it to me. There's a race on. There's a race on, and Sheffield wants to win this race. I just looked at it on Google and the Star, uh, Sheffield Star and the Sheffield Telegraph, where. They're, they're, they're inviting people now, gay people, who want to get married in the civic court in, in Sheffield City Council for the first gay marriage. And they're now telling people to get your name down. We, and one minute past that time, there is going to be a race on for the first city to have the first gay marriage. That's an abomination to God. That's an absolute abomination. I pray, Lord, I pray, break that over the city right now. Lord, break that over the city. Father, we break that. We just put, Lord, we ask you now in heaven to stop Sheffield having the first label of the first gay marriage. Lord, break it. Break it. And I pray, Lord, let godly men and women be raised up in that council, in the city centre. Lord, let godly men start standing on your word. Father, we ask this now in Jesus' name, the precious name that's above all names. Do you know what it is? Same-sex marriage. But do you know, affairs. It's all right to have an affair unless you get caught. You can have an extramarital affair and it's okay until you get caught. And in society, we just, it's right down in our youth. It's so permeated in our youth. When I've had young kids come and say, it's all right to sleep around. You should, you, you should taste and see, you know. You're not going to find that one apple is going to taste like the other apple. And I say to them, no. It's better to keep yourself pure for one person and one person only. I said, Do you want, what's it going to be like? I say this to the guys. What's it going to be like if your partner comes to you, your wife, and she's had 50 partners? You're not going to be special. How's that going to be special to you? And they say, well, I won't marry her. Well, I say, well, what's different about you then? What's different about you? What's, if you sleep around, you know, you can have as many partners as you want. You know, what's the difference between you? Shouldn't you keep yourself pure for one person? I've listened to these experts come into our schools and they teach kids how to have safe sex. Instead of giving them the word of God, they're giving them the pill or the after-morning pill or they're giving them contraceptives. And, and I had all of these people. There was a Christian I knew from our old church. She was one of these people getting up and saying, that you know, you can have as much sex but don't have unprotected sex because you might have a disease or you might cause a pregnancy or, or whatever it is. And uh, so I put my hand up and I said in front of the whole these, all these 15, 16-year-olds. I said, have you heard about ABC? Do you teach that at all? I said, what do you mean ABC? And I said, well, do you teach them? A, abstinence is a good thing. Is a really good thing. To keep yourself pure for one person. They looked at me as if I'd been beamed down from another planet. I said, what about B? Be faithful to one person. Be faithful. When you find that one person... Be faithful to them. And I said, see, 
That's the last point of call, contraception. If you can't do any of those things, then contraception. And they looked at me as if I was a bit of dog poo on their shoe. And I looked at the, the eyes of the Christian. And I wasn't judging them. And I was just thinking, why don't you stand up and be counted? Why don't you stand up and be, be, be counted? We're seeing our youth going out on Fridays. And we're talking about 12 and 13-year-olds. We're not talking about 17, 18-year-olds. We're talking about 12 and 13-year-olds. And some are even younger. We're seeing them go out as soon as school finishes on a Friday. They'll lie to their parents, I'm going around to so-and-so. They'll go somewhere else and they'll go in the park and they'll get horribly drunk. I used to listen to the lads on the Monday morning when I used to come in and they used to tell me how, how much they'd drunk that weekend and how that one of them was uh, carted into hospital because he'd drunk so much that he fell over, whacked his head and he, he had concussion and how a bit annoyed his parents were at being called out you know, at, at 2 o'clock in the morning to come and collect their son from hospital. You know, take, take drugs. Experiment with drugs. It's all, it's all. It's harmless. It doesn't harm you. No, it'll kill you. But this has become the norm of our society, and it was no difference in Daniel's day. No difference. Whatever went, you could go ahead and do it. You know what? I think we're living in a type of Babylonian society as we speak. We're living in a Babylonian world as we speak. And churchgoers are a dying breed totally dying breed. Church has got no relevance in society, let alone God. You know, in 1976, they, they asked in an opinion poll, they said, do you think that, ch- that church has, or God has an influence in society? 75% of people in 1973 said yes, it does. They asked the same question in 1993, and it reversed only 25% of the people said yes God has a a relevance on society and influence 75% of the people said no things have changed so quickly and I I despair when I look around I'm not judging anybody here or anybody out there but I despair when I look in churches do you know Sheffield I think is one of the most divided church going people that you'll ever meet anywhere in the world. I, I think that is one of our, our absolute thing that is stopping this movement of God is because our church and our church leaders are so divided. So divided. Imagine if we can just get some church leaders together that say, we want to lay aside building our kingdoms, we want to build the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, We live in a schizophrenic frame of mind as God-going people that love the Lord. We live as schizophrenic. We have have so many different situations, so many different people, so many different things that we've got to do and, and got to be. And be to certain people. I don't think church is any different. I don't think church is any different. I've got to be a teacher. Trevor's got to be a teacher at 9 o'clock on a Monday morning. He's also got to be a father. He's also got to be a husband. He's also got to be a, a worship leader. He's also got to be Trevor. We're so schizophrenic about we don't even know who we are. We're so stretched in so many different ways. We have got no idea of who we are. Daniel did. At the age of 14, he knew exactly who he was. He was the son of the Most High. 
And he wasn't going to lose his identity in God, even if he lost his life. All I want to do, all I want to be known as, is a passionate lover of the Lord. That's all I want to do. And I also want to be a good husband and a good, good father. But I want to be known, not for Andy that can produce a good talk, or, or Andy that can do that. I want to know, I want people, you want to go and see a, a guy that loves the Lord. Go and have a look at Andy, who passionately loves the Lord. Above anything, he's not there to make himself, I'm not here to make myself popular. In fact, exactly the opposite. I've probably made myself very unpopular because of things I've said. But I'll stand on them. I'll stand on them. I'm not here to win any popularity votes. I'm here to stand on the word of God. And I will not compromise. I will not use to the left and I will not move to the right. I'll keep on that road that the Lord has put me on. I will put my hands to the plow that God has put in my hands and I will plow my field. And I will plow my field until God plants his seed in it. And then when he puts his rain on it, he will gain a harvest and he will get the glory. He will get the glory. And, God, and Daniel, Daniel purposed within his heart right from the beginning. He set his stall out and he never moved from it for, four, for 70 years. Can we say the same? Can we honestly say the same? Yeah, we're more known for the title that we carry than for the person that we are. I'm sick of titles. I, I, I honestly don't really, I mean, I don't want to be known as a pastor, <laughs> Pastor Andy. I just want to be known as Andy, Andy who loves the Lord. That's the only title I want, or a bondservant that bondservant title. But you know what? I see people go to church on a Sunday. I'm not saying anybody here or anybody belong to, to Bushfire. I've just seen, I've seen it throughout my 20 years as a Christian. I've seen people come into church on a Sunday and be completely different on the Saturday night. And on the Monday, there's no difference to them on the Sunday. But if a pastor turns up at their house, they're different. They'll, they'll hide the porno bags. They'll, they'll get rid of the beer bottles. They'll get rid of the wine bottle. They'll, they'll get rid of it and they'll be something totally different because the pastor's come around. Our lives should reflect him 24-7. Our lives should not be compromised. We cannot compromise to the left or the right. We've got to reflect him. And instead, what we're doing as a body of people, again, I'm just speaking generally, I'm not speaking about us, we're meant to be light. And yet what most of the church are doing is blending into the background. We're blending into the background. We don't want to have a controversial issue. We don't want to stand up and say, well, God says that same-sex marriage is wrong. So we'll, just, we'll accept it. We'll, it's all right. It's all right to have you know, this sin or that sin or, or whatever it is. It's all right. You know. No, it's not. Sin is sin. It's got to be dealt with. I say... Hardy and I, you know, we say, anybody new coming into bushfire, that you have to sit there for at least six months to a year. One, so that you can get to know us, and another thing, that we can get to know you. Because you are not going to be known for what you do in the church. You're going to be known for who you are. And you cannot be standing up there. You cannot be standing up there doing worship, even if you are just singing along. I love Angela's spirit. I love it. She gets up there. I love, you know, we've got a really good... Thing going with the worship. But you know what? Who's in charge of the worship in heaven? Who was in charge of the worship in heaven? Lucifer. So don't you think he's going to hit worship? 
Don't you think he's going to, that's the first point of attack. Whenever we've seen the attack in this place, in bushfire, it's always been through worship. Always been through worship. We're protectors. Heidi and I have learned the hard way. But we can't have a guy playing the guitar. Sorry, John, not you. Where are you? John, not you. No, we love you. But we can't have somebody playing the guitar on a Sunday morning when they've been out on a Saturday night sleeping with somebody, you know, or whatever. You can't have it. It's not going to happen. Because if we allow it in the church, if we allow that person to do that in the church, it's going to spread. It will spread like wildfire. It will spread like there's no tomorrow. And we can't allow this to happen. We're, meant to, we're called to be overcomers and not partakers of this world. We're called to go against the flow of the river instead of swimming with the tide. We're meant to go along a road that's called straight and narrow instead of the road that is broad. We're called to go against everything where there is no compromise. We don't, I don't want compromise. I don't want to compromise with anything in that world and bring it into this place. We cannot compromise. And that is what God is looking for. See, Daniel could have fitted in as he woke up from wealth into chains in one, one day. He could have fitted in. He could have eaten at the king's table. He could have gone with as much or as little as he wanted and blended into the background. But he didn't want to compromise his faith in God. And let me tell you, Babylon had a lot to offer a young man. A heck of a lot to offer. It was the sin bed of sin. And if you wanted it, you could have it. If the king said you could have that, you could have a hundred virgins. You would get a hundred virgins. Folks, but Daniel did not compromise. And this is the body that people, that God is looking for today. He's looking for the people like Daniel in us. He's, we've got we've to be start producing people that look like Jesus. Look like Jesus, but mold them with the people-like character of Daniel. And put this into them. See, church, we eat out of two tables. At the same time, we eat out from God's table and the world's table. And I call it cafeteria Christianity. I'll have a bit of that, and I'll have a bit of that, because that fits nicely on my plate, and it tastes good to me. What happens if you're told to bite something in that isn't good? It doesn't taste very nice, but it's what God has called you to do. Have a bit of that mixed in. And I'll tell you what church is so full of. Church, it's religion versus relationship. Total religion versus relationship. I am so sick and tired of people looking at worship leaders and thinking, aren't they great? Aren't they fantastic? I want to be like that. Or you get the preacher standing at the front and people say, I want to be a preacher. I want to be an evangelist. I want to do all these things. I want Church is not here to entertain you. We've come into a, an entertaining church. It's completely consumerism. It's like, you come along, you play the songs, and help us to sing it well. And if we can get up and dance and wave our flags, you know, and look good, or come down to the front and look at the worship leader, aren't you fantastic? Aren't you beautiful? I want to dress like you. And you look at the worship leaders, and they start doing all that. 
and start doing all the things, you know, and then you get the worship leaders, you know, the ones back in, and they all start <laughs> moving in the same way, and next thing they'll be... <laughs> that's what we're seeing. Honestly, we laugh about it, but that's what you're seeing. The day that we had a group of people at the front worshipping, looking at the band leaders, this day I shut it down. I promise you, I will not have that. And the day that people start looking to the preacher as their representation of God, that is wrong. We should be teaching people to know and have a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ for themselves, not having it through the teacher or the preacher or the band leader. We've got to start teaching people that this concept of the old, that it's one man or one woman in church that is the representation of God in that place is wrong. It's demonic. I've got news for you. The veil was split. The veil and the way was split asunder so we could enter into relationship, not through a man, not through a system, not through religion, but we can have relationship with the living Lord Jesus. And that's what Daniel was all about. Daniel had a relationship with the living Lord, the God above all gods. And do you know what? He didn't have the New Testament. He only had the five books in the Bible. And he loved God with all of his heart. And he did not compromise as a young man. I want a church full of people like that. Full of Daniels. Because we could change this world. Because Daniel always gave the glory to God. Never took any on himself. (coughs) You can go your own way into the very presence of God. You don't have to come through me. I'll give you... I'll give you permission. (laughs) I'll sign a chit if that's what you need. But you can have permission to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ for yourself. But don't look to me to get it. Don't look to Heidi or to Trevor or anybody else to get it. You get it yourself and run with it. Don't take what I'm saying as, as absolute, absolute. I'm human. Check it out yourself. Check it out yourself. And if I'm not right, then, then have a bit of grace on me. If you're not right, guess what? I have some grace on you. And if you've got a different opinion to me, then I will talk to you about it. And we will have a, a cup of coffee about it. But I will not spit out my dummy just because you won't have a different opinion and, and go, go my own way. That's what church has done. Just because I don't believe that you have to have be you know, baptised as a, as a baby, that being, you know, christened, that's the word, Just doesn't, doesn't mean I'm not going to, I'm going to slam everybody that's been christened. That's rubbish, it's baloney. I don't even know if I've been christened. <laughs> Haven't got a clue, probably doubt it. You can be the best singer, you can be the best dancer, the best preacher, teacher, but if you're not living it, if you're not living it, it means squat. If you can't live the life, if you, as I say, if you can't walk the walk, then don't do it. You can't give your life 100% for God, then, then stop what you're doing, get into a quiet place with God and find out, Lord, I want to do it your way. I don't want the best singer just because you can sing a good tune. If you're not living the life, you won't be singing. 
That's a promise. If you're not living and walking the life, I'm not talking about mistakes, folks. We all make mistakes. Because it says we all fall short of the glory of God. All of us fall short of the glory of God. I'm not talking about mistakes. We all do it. But I'm talking about a way of life. You've got to set out your, you've got to set out your stall and live by it. I love it. You know, God didn't go. He, he actually did go. He did. Jesus went to the Pharisees. He went to the lawyers, the top brains. These guys had to recite five books of the Bible. They were the brains of brains. They knew Scripture inside out, and they could swallow it, chew it, eat it. They knew it. But he didn't go to them. They rejected him. He went to an uneducated fisherman. And he walked along the shores and he said, come here and I'll make you fishermen of men. Follow me, he said. I'll make you fishermen of men. And these fishermen dropped their nets, left their businesses, and they followed the Lord Jesus for three and a half years and then beyond. And all but one of those disciples lost their lives for that cause. See, it wasn't the church people that, that Jesus sent into Samaria, into that uh, town of Samaria. It wasn't, it wasn't the church people that he, he said, go, go and empty out the synagogue and go and tell everybody about me. He went to the sinner of the sinners. He met that woman at the well and he said, no, you're not living, you know, the, the person that you're living with now is not your husband, but you've had five husbands. He went to the person, the one person that in her absolute disgrace went at the hottest time to draw water out. And Jesus met her at the well. Jehovah speaking. Met her. And she became, she, she was the whore of the town. And yet she became the saviour of that town. She became the evangelists. And it says here in John 4, verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I did. See, I believe Jesus at this well walked the woman through her life and then showed her the decisions that she had made, not condemning her, not com- just not, not, not whacking her over the head with all, you know, she's got five husbands and the one that she's got now isn't her own husband. But I believe that he walked her right the way through her life from a little baby and said, this is why you did that, because of that happening to you. And I want to put you back together. I want to heal you in your body, mind, and spirit. Put her completely back together again. Isn't that the Jesus that we know? To take the, the unfashionable of this world and use it to transform that world. That's the Jesus I know. We're about to go into the, as the word says, the, head, the hedgerows and the bridleways. That's where we're going. We're going to go and get those people who are the prostitutes, who are the drug takers, who are the whatever. But we're also going to go for the businessmen, the ones that they need Jesus just as much. They need, you know, we're, we're going to go into all of these hedgerows and we're going to drag them out. And we're going to go from disgrace to grace in one fell swoop. The disgrace of this world into the grace of God through the cross. And God is going to use some very unlikely people like you and me to do this. But we need a world, we need a body of people 
with moral courage. A word of people that have a personal relationship with Jesus and don't just regurgitate something that they've already heard from somebody else. I looked at that word regurgitate and it says this, and I think this pretty well apps some of the church. To give back or repeat, especially something not fully understood or assimilated. To regurgitate the teacher's lectures on an exam. That's the example they use. Aren't we like that in church? We live on other people's experiences instead of going and getting our own. We love, I love stories. I love them. I, you, you'll hear me preach them. But I want my own. I want to hear some of the things out of his mouth. I want to feel his love. I want to feel what it is to have fear of the Lord upon us. I want to know what it is to have his counsel, as Job did, new every morning. On the, on, it said it was like the, the, the dew on the branches. He had the counsel of God on him every morning like that. Can I be honest with you? Church is not changing this world. And the church as we know it won't work. It's not working. Can I tell you why? We're into three things. We're into churches that want the new thing. They go chasing after the new thing of God. A new song or a new band or a new this or a new that or, or the shakers and the bakers. You know, I've got nothing against people who shake and bake. But as long as when the shaking and baking is done, there's a change in them. They, they go running after these new things or they go for the new fad. The next thing of, of whatever it is, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, people levitating. Yeah, that's the, that's the, 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 the new craze going on, this whole thing of levitation. And, you know, in your praise and worship, you can levitate off the ground. That's the, honestly, that's what they're going after. Young people are being drawn to that. The, uh, the God for, for the vodka was the other one. You know, what's it called? The, the, the slush party? Slosh fest. That you can smoke the baby Jesus instead of toting your smoke. They're, they've literally got little baby dolls of Jesus and they're smoking him. I can get high on Jesus. And it's in this country, big time. You can, you can replace the vodka bottle with Godfrey. That's what they say. I want to run away from that. That's the only time I've stood up in church and I've said to our folk in the early days, Nadi will back me up on this. I've said there was a guy that came into the city that was full of that. And what they'd do is they'd get dressed up as vicars and nuns. And they would go in there and they would ridicule them. They would ridicule, you know, vicars and nuns and because of this religion. They were trying to break a religious spirit. But they were more religious about what they did than what the religious people were doing. And all that did is cause offence. All that does is cause offence. And it was wrong. And I said to my folk, please, please don't go. Don't go. Even on curiosity, don't go. And then they would roll out of church and be drunk on the spirit. I'm drunk. And, and roll on the streets. And, it, and police would look at them. I've seen it. I look at them and think, you call yourself a Christian? I've walked in hotels where people were doing this and it probably put more people off guard seeing people like that than just talking to them about Jesus. 
I'll tell you the other thing is the traditions of men. That's the third thing. The traditions of men were set in religious ways and depend on one man or one woman at the front to do it all. And we have a dogma of theology, a real dogma of so many different theology things. And all we should be going for is the word giver, the inspirer, the Holy Spirit. And I looked up that word of inspire, and it says this, to fill with an animating, quickening, and exalting influence. That's the Holy Spirit that I want. I want this exalting influence upon my life. Holy Spirit, give it to us. Give it to us tonight, Holy Spirit. Give us, Lord, the Holy Spirit to fill us with this animated and quickening and exalting influence, Lord. That's the influence that I want, not the influence of toting the baby, Jesus. We need to know what it is like to become Christ-like. And just because somebody sings a lovely song or writes a lovely tune and a song about Jesus doesn't make them a God-fearing Christian. You've got to be careful about this. That this has creeped into the church like there's no tomorrow. Just because somebody can talk a beautiful sermon and talk so eloquently as a preacher or a teacher doesn't make them a God-fearing Christian. Just because somebody can write the most beautiful script and the most beautiful verse that helps you, you know, walk your daily walk out with the Lord doesn't make them a God-fearing Christian. I want to see the fruit of their lives. I want to see the character that God has put in these people more than I want to see what they can do and bring to the table. This is why we're careful about people coming into church and serving. As soon as somebody walks up to me and starts telling me, when I've hardly known them, this is what I can do, I go, wait, <laughs> stay out there. For, you know, just stay, stay there and I just want to, if they start giving you, you know, this is what I can do, this is what, this is what I, I'm known as, this is what I've, I go, hey, stay there. You know, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. I'd rather them sit there for six months to a year and see whether one they like us they feel they want to be a part of it and for us to have a look at godly character see Daniel could have fitted in and he could have made a real bad deal better but instead he would not compromise on any aspect of his faith Daniel wouldn't budge one millimeter and you know what if we stand like this, we're going to be despised. We're going to be hated. We're going to be ridiculed, standing up for what we believe. But I'd rather have my storehouse and my treasures stored in heaven than on earth. That's where I want to have those beautiful words, good and faithful Andy, in whom I'm well pleased. And get a holy kiss from, from him, my Jesus, my beloved my father. That's what I'd rather do than get any acclamation from man or woman. I want to hear it from my father. I want to hear it from my Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate, passionate about this. And if you watch of me at any point getting any of the glory and me basking in that glory, you come and tell me off. You come and kick my butt. Because I'll do the same to you. I do not want any man or woman to get the glory where God should get it. Daniel never said, look at me. 
look what I've achieved. He said, look what God has done. He pointed everything, everything to Jesus. So we've got to live in this world, but we can't become part of it. We cannot compromise any part of our lives for this world. I don't want it. Neither do you. Neither do you. Let God be God. And I know, listen, I know, I know I won't go down that road. I'm going to stick to my notes. It's not enough. We, could, we just haven't got enough Daniels standing up for what's right. We've got this lethargic Christianity. And I looked at the word lethargic, and it's this, of, pertaining to, or affected with lethargy, that's it. Drowsy, sluggish, producing lethargy. And that's what, that's what the church has become. We've become so lethargic. We've gone to sleep. We need revival. Revival is breathing in to something that's dead. We need to breathe into the church, folks, because we're dead. Things have happened on our watch that should never have happened. Never have happened. We have seen in just the last 20 years, 20 years, God come out of schools, abortion accepted. Abortion just accepted like that. Sunday shopping, keep one day special, one day special. Marriage in churches, the whole thing of sanctity of marriage has gone out on our watch. Divorce is just so easy. You can get divorced one minute, literally be married one day, and two weeks later, you can marry somebody else. It's too easy. It's far too easy. Swearing, same-sex part. You sum it up. Do you know what we've allowed? We've allowed the Ten Commandments to stop influence in society. And Daniel wouldn't have that. See, we can see from Daniel 1, chapter 1 and 2, sorry, verse 1 and 2, that Nebuchadnezzar set his sights on destroying Jerusalem. Do you know that Jerusalem has been sacked and destroyed, not fully, 25 times? I did some research. It's one of the most attacked cities in the whole world. Why? Because Jerusalem is God's timepiece. It's, it's, his, it's his crown. It's his jewel of the crown. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted to make an example of Jerusalem. But you know what? Astounded me in verse 2 states that God allowed this to happen. Why did God allow his city to be destroyed and all his sacred vessels to be taken out of the sanctity of the, of the, of the, the temple and, and made into goblets of wine in, in, in orgies in Babylon? Why did, why did God allow that? I'm going to answer that question a little bit later, but it just shows us that God has a direct influence on history. Did you know that? God has a direct influence on history. And we just have to look, you know, in the last world war that we had, when we had Dunkirk, where it was well known that the, the king of England, George VI, gets up and he says, we as a nation must pray for our boys across the water. Just, he didn't really say that. He said it with a very posh accent. But... He said that we, we've got to pray for our, for our army. And the whole nation fell to its knees that day and they prayed for God to save the boys across the, in France. And that very day, the mist descended over the, the beaches of Dunkirk. Mist that came out of nowhere. 
It wasn't even on the, 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 the weather forecast of that day. This mist descended over Dunkirk and they offloaded hundreds of thousands of men and women from the beaches of Dunkirk where they couldn't be strapped by the, by the, uh, the, the Luftwaffe. They couldn't be bombed. They couldn't be torpedoed. They couldn't, and they couldn't even see them. And you had every craft that man could sail from Great Britain going across to Dun Dunkirk and saving it. We have the Enigma Code. The Enigma Code that was miraculously rescued off a German U-boat. And the Brits got it, by the way. Forget about the American film. The Brits got it. Got this Enigma machine. And they broke it. They cracked it. They cracked it in, Betchley, in Bletchley. Bletchley Park. They got these, these incredible mines. They cracked it. I believe that God allowed them to crack it. Because as soon as we started cracking the Enigma Code, in 1941, the whole course of the war changed from just that one act. One act of God allowing El Alamein. No wonder that man, that when he went to the general, that... Um, it's Mon Montgomery, thank you. Montgomery, he went to bed before the night of Alamein and he slept really, really soundly. Do you know why? Because they had cracked the Enigma Code and he knew that Rommel would be doing certain things in a certain way and he'd had all his army plans put up in front of him so he could counter it. He knew exactly what was coming and he knew where the, the weakness of Rommel would be at uh, Trabuk and completely and utterly transformed the whole of that uh, Egyptian war. The sinking of the Bismarck. My stepmother was involved in the sinking of the Bismarck. They already knew where the Bismarck was, the most feared battleship ever known to be sailing the seas in that, in that age. The Bismarck and the Turpins. They knew exactly where those two warships were. And my, my stepmother, she was a red in the Royal Navy. They said that what they did is they sent a spotter plane up into the area that stumbled across the Bismarck. They knew exactly where it was, but they couldn't let the Germans know that they cracked the, the Enigma Code. You just read the accounts of Rees Hall. Rees Hall having such an influence on the Second World War. We know that history has two aspects. It has a physical one, but it'll also have a spiritual one. And the word history, here's an interesting one. The word history, it is broken into two words, his history, his story, his story, it's God's story, God has an influence on what's happening and we, we've had the talks about what's happening in the Middle East, why is God allowing this, why is, you know, and I'm telling you, man's thoughts can be God's intentions, can be God's intentions, just get that one and I'm just saying, we just have to look at our politics. We just have to look at the different parties competing for each other one over the NHS, using the NHS or, or education or, or, or whatever as political footballers. Do you know what we need? Is we need a breadth of God's men and women in those influences and absolutely bringing the things of God into the house of the parliament, restoring it back to its foundations. And everything that God does is, is, is redemptive. I love that. Everything that God was doing on Daniel was redemptive. It was out of his love. Just read the book of Hosea. It is the story of the whole battle of the Jewish nation. It told the story of a woman who couldn't keep be faithful to her husband. And God was using Hosea as an example 
of a body of people being unfaithful to God. I see prostitution in our churches. We've got to be faithful to God, faithful to what he holds dear to his heart instead of what we hold dear to ours. And that's the whole theme running through the Bible. 1 Samuel 8, verses 6, and 6 to 8, talks about Saul uh, being given king. And it said that, I think this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible, when it says to Samuel, says the Lord says to Samuel, heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me. And he told them, go and tell them. What's it like going to be having a king and you're going to have this and you're going to have that? And they still wanted the king. They rejected God. I believe that we, sat in most of our churches, have rejected God. This is why we're not having an influence on our society. Do you want to know how we can get rid of all of our problems in one go? Side with Israel. We could bring our economic thing to the thing. We could do our whatever it is. If we side with Israel, did anyone hear Cameron with his visitation, his visit to Israel? Did you hear what Cameron said? We are a friend of yours. I'm going to write to, to David Cameron. I'm going to ask him. You tell me, are you standing with Israel? Because if you're standing for, with Israel, you'll get my vote. And I would. I've never voted Conservative in my life. Never. But if he is standing for Israel, I'll vote for him. If he can guarantee me that. That might sound, you know, a little bit sort of laxadaisical, but you know, we're voting men and w- women in who are totally ungodly. Ungodly. You know, how can you have Nick Clegg, you know, in as, as Prime Minister when he says, I'm an atheist? He's not going to represent us. God's in total control. And this one thing I love about God, about the whole book of Daniel. God was in control of what was happening to Daniel. And do you know what we don't do? We're really, we don't ask the right questions. We don't ask the right questions of God. I'll give you an example. God, shall I marry this person? Do you know what God will say? Of course you can. You've got free will. You can marry whoever you want. Instead, we should be asking, God, should I marry this person? Will it be a success? We want quick, easy answers. And isn't it interesting, when you look at the news, we get what's happening, where it's happening, and, and who it's happened to. But we never get why. Why is this happening? We never get it. We never get why, why it's happened. Why did Hitler come to power? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why did Hitler, why did God allow Hitler to come to power? I'll tell you why. We'll find that in Jeremiah 16, 16. It says, Behold, I will send many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall fish them, and afterwards I will send out many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rock. So the big why is, why was Hitler allowed to rise to power? In, 19, in, 19, in 1896, a man called Theodor Herzl, he was born in 1860. He was a Hungarian, uh, a Hungarian, Austrian-Hungarian. He wrote a book, and he said, The Jewish State. And what it was, that he wrote this book calling the Jews back to two places. 
He said, we want to set back a nation for the Jews. Go back to Palestine. Palestine, by the way, was a word that came from the First World War. Our government. They took the state of Israel and they called it Palestine. It's not Palestinian. It's, pa it's a made-up word. But then he heard this thing and he said, right, call the Jews back to Israel. We, can, we must set up a nation back for ourselves. In, in, in 1896. Check it. And he said, we can either go to Israel. That's my preference. That's what he was saying. But we can either go to, uh, to Argentina. And guess where the other place was? Uganda. He wanted, there was, there was incredible, there was a lot of Jewish people in Uganda before the turn of Idi Amin. There was a lot of Jewish influence in Uganda because of this. A few, few people heard it, but Herzl said, we must go back to our state, we must go back to our land, and we must occupy it. Do you know why? Because in, in 18, 1895, he was in Paris, and there was a, uh, a French soldier, quite high up in the French army, being put on trial. He was a French Jew, and he was accused of spying for the Germans. And the people on the street flocked out to the street, and they said, kill the Jews. Kill the Jews. Any Jew. Kill the Jews. And Herzl got hold of us and he said, right, we need, we need to go back to our own. And God used Theodore Herzl as that fisherman calling the people back to Israel. And only a very few responded. A remnant body of people. Only a few thousand came out of, of Europe and went back. So God sent out the fishermen and then he sent in the hunters. And who was the hunter? He allowed the rise of Hitler because of what happened in concentration camps and over those millions of Jews getting slaughtered. Over 40% of Jews in Europe were killed by Hitler. Then in 1948, they signed Israel back to the Jews in the stroke of a pen because of what happened in the concentration camp. That's the fisherman to the hunter. Father, I pray now, don't set out hunters to us. Lord, you're calling a body of people to yourself. And I pray, Lord, let us rise up like Daniels. Let us rise up like Daniels, Lord. See, the only person or the only opinion I really want is God's. Could you start telling people what it says in the Bible about sleeping with one another? You know, one of the things I, I hated, oh, I could sleep with that person, but we didn't go the whole way. You touch what you haven't got. You've gone the whole way. And we're teaching our kids, it's all right, as long as you don't sleep with them. No, we don't. We've got to teach our youth of today the word of God and how to live through that word of God. Not as a burden, not as a millstone around their necks where they can't walk it, but we've got to start teaching the truth to our youth today. And I'm just saying that we're seeing more of that with our youth in churches, that there's no difference than when they're outside. I've, I've worked with youth in church. I got up and I preached this at a church not far away from here to a lot of young people about keeping yourself pure. And it, it was almost like that I was... Oh, my name became real mud because I started preaching from the word. 
about how to live your life. You can't be around sleeping with people. See, we have a sin of tolerance. <laughs> we such have a sin of tolerance. And I'll tell you another thing that's entered in the church is humanism. I, I looked at the word humanism, and I think we've become so humanistic in our churches. I think we've become, as a society, so humanistic. And it's humanism, any system or mode of thought or action in which human interests, values, and dignity predominate. So we're putting the, the values onto people more than we're upholding the values of God. And humanism has crept into church like there's no tomorrow. See, in Deuteronomy, God is faithful to his word. He said from Deuteronomy 28, 47 to 58, he says to the whole of Israel, if you do this, then this is what I'm going to do. God is true to his word. If you do this, and if you don't change your ways, then this is what's going to happen to you. And God did it. You read that, that passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy 28. It says in, in Psalm 138, verse 2, you have mag you, for you have magnified your word above your, all your name. God will magnify his word more than he will magnify his name. God will make sure that his word will come true. Do not let the book of the law, Joshua 1 verse 8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Be careful to meditate on it day and night, that you may observe everything and do according to what is written in it. Then you will make your, your ways prosperous, and then you will have good success. If we live by the word of God. The word of God is, is what we need to eat more and more. We have to stand up for the word of God more now than we've ever had to do. In the same way that Daniel did when he was 17, 14 to 17 years age, he stood up for the word of God. He wouldn't compromise, he never took a step back, and he would never see his homeland again. Absolutely incredible. Daniel knew that all of this would happen. That everything that had happened to him was the hand of God upon his life. And he, ne he never questioned why. He just knew. You never see in the book of Daniel, Daniel saying, why God? Why did you allow me this to happen to me? Why did you allow this to happen to my friends? Why did you take me? Because Daniel knew why. How did he know this? He never complained. He never complained. You never find Daniel complaining. It says that, that if something really bad has happened to you, do you know what? God may have allowed it to happen. God may have allowed something bad to happen to you. Because he wants us to get through it. He wants us to, to be expanded. He wants to mature us. He wants to, to teach us something. He wants us to, to, to do something and to depend upon him. The steps of the righteous are ordered by God and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. God's steps on your life have been ordered. He's allowed some really horrible things to happen to you. It certainly has with me. God's allowed it for a reason. God allowed some of the things, that, the horrible things that happened to me, God allowed it to happen. Why? So I could overcome it. So I could be a stronger person, a better person. When I've overcome that, guess what? I have authority over it. And anybody coming to me with the same problem, I can speak into their life and have authority over it. Total authority over it. So God sometimes allows you to have bad experiences, bad things. Our lives are run and ordered by God. That's what I loved about Daniel. He knew that his life was ordered 
and, and ordered by God. See, Daniel and his friends were insurance policies because what Nebuchadnezzar did at that time, he left a puppet government in Jerusalem that were just, just ordained to his word. And they said, because we've got all your young people, if you don't adhere, what, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just kill them. That was an insurance policy. And Nebuchadnezzar did that. And, it, and, and Nebuchadnezzar would turn these young people into be good Babylonians. Really good Babylonians. Folks, I'll speak all about this next week, but this is exactly the same tactic that the devil's using with our youth today. Let them compromise. Let them become just like the world. They will never come to God. The same tactic that God... So, for me and Heidi, we've made our decision. I know Trevor has have done the same thing. We're not educating our, our kids through the system. We're not going to do it. We're not going to allow the system to get into our kids, that they start teaching our kids as if it's absolutely the truth that we came from apes. That's an abomination of the, the creation of Jesus, breathing his spirit into us out of mud. I won't have my kids do that. Will we? Who bed? Who bed? Who bed? Who bed? Who bed? That's what we're going to do. But you know, what, what he did, he, his, his Nebuchadnezzar, he was a very clever man. He was an incredibly clever man. Um, he would amalgamate these young people into the ways of Babylon so they'd never want to go back. I think uh, Goebbels said, give me a young boy to the age of seven I'll make him a good Nazi. That's what you picked up from the Roman Catholics. The Roman Catholics said, give me a young child to the age of seven and I'll make them a good Catholic. That's all the devil's gonna, has been doing for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years is corrupt the youth, corrupt the youth, corrupt the youth, corrupt the youth. Make them blend in and they will never be liked. And he hasn't changed his tactic. So my question is, we're going to finish. So in 605 BC, why did God allow Daniel to be carried off and Jerusalem to be destroyed? And Daniel knew this. Do you want to know the answer? It says in Romans 8, verse 28, For we all know that all the things work perfect together for the good of those who love God, to those that are called according to his purposes. You see, it was God's ultimate goal to get men to reach the highest levels on that on the civilized earth, the highest levels, and influence the kings of that of that time. Daniel reached three kings: Nebuchadnezzar of the uh, the Babylonian system. Then he reached Darius of the Persian and Mede system, and then he reached the last king, Cyrus. For seventy years, God had him at the influence of the the biggest biggest, most powerful men that walked the earth at that time. And God needed men to reach the king. Look at Nebuchadnezzar. I believe Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of his life, became a Christian. Just look at the book. Look at, we'll, we'll, we'll have a look at it. I have no doubt that Nebuchadnezzar followed the God of Daniel. And Daniel influenced him. He didn't go to Nebuchadnezzar and start slamming him. You've changed my name, you heathen king. You do blah, blah, blah. He just, he didn't, he didn't mutter one of those things. 
and we're going to have a look at the dream. I think the dream, that the first dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, he has two, by the way. Most people thought we only had one, but we know he has two. But I think that dream is probably the most powerful dream ever, ever in the history of man to be given to the king. Very powerful dream. Absolutely, I'll, I'll talk about that. You see, I'm going to destroy a couple of little balloons for you. Be a good cheer. You're guaranteed trouble. You, as a Christian, are guaranteed trouble. It's going to be wild as we sing that song. I love that song. It's going to be wild. It's going to be fun. And it's going to be scary. But I want you to know that Jesus is in charge. He is putting you and me into position. He is about to take us out of those quivers, put us in his bow, and shoot us straight to where he wants us to go. This is about to happen. This is about to happen to us. And if it's happening in Scarborough and people are getting saved, absolutely. Bring it on, Lord. Bring it on. Bring it into Sheffield. Lord, bring it into Sheffield. This is what we're going to see. We're going to see a body of people like Daniel start arising up. And we're going to influence. We're going to influence our governments. We're going to go to, to Cameron and say, do you know what? God gave you a dream, and this is what the dream was. And you, you've even forgotten this dream, Cameron, but this is what God is telling you through this dream. And he's rising up Daniels who will not compromise. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? I want that. No matter what's happened to me in my life, I would live it all again to be where I am today. I will do it all over again. I might not do the same mistakes, hopefully, but all the things that God has allowed in my life, all the rotten things that people have done that they should never have done, I rejoice because it's made me the man that God has made me to be today. And we can't allow it to happen. Listen, some of you have lost loved ones. I don't know why. I, I, there was something that was said, you know, if God took everything off you, would you still love him? And some of you have been tested in that. Some of you got in through trials and tribulation like there's no tomorrow. We all have a story to tell. But we're still faithful to him. We will still love him with every breath that we have in our, in our bodies. Because why? Because he's worth it. Five secrets to life in the 21st century from Daniel. Sometimes life is not pretty and it's not in perfect order. Number one. Number two, don't allow the things that go wrong keep you from your destiny. Don't complain, don't become bitter, be an overcomer. Don't allow these things to overtake you and crush you from the very thing that God has called you to be. You are not guaranteed a good life. See, advertising, we look at advertising on the televisions, I call it propaganda, that's what it is. You, by, you can have a new car. You deserve this new car. You can have it tomorrow. And it's only going to cost you £220 a month. But you can have it. Why? Because you deserve it. You deserve all these good things. You can have a new house. You can have a new dress. You can have whatever it is. It absolutely sucks. We don't deserve the best. But God is going to use us, the most undeserving People that have walked this earth and in God's time he's going to use us and anoint us with such power and such light. And we're undeserving. But I'll tell you what, because we're undeserving, he gets the glory. It hasn't been through anything 
that I've done or Heidi's done. I haven't squealed my, myself away for eight hours a day in praying and falling down and saying, God, help me. I have a five-minute prayer saying, God, please help me. Please wash me clean. Please, Lord, look over, over my family. Look after my family. Protect my family, Lord. Please do that, Lord. And Lord, Lord, I want to live for you today. I want to be everything you called me to be. That's my prayer. I'm not getting religious about it. I'll pray and I'll just say, God, come and do it. Because I need you now. I can't do this. Father, I've gone as far as I can possibly go in my strength. I need you now. Send your Holy Spirit. Send your fire. Because Jesus, I know when this lands on me, you get the glory. You get the glory. Because Jesus, when before you came to me, I was hanging in with my fingertips. You get the glory. See, I love this. I heard this guy say it the other day. Life is like a tea bag. It won't be any good unless it's been through some heat. And it tastes better when it's had hot water poured on it. Life's like that. Things happen to us. Things heat up. But I'd rather have the refiner's fire come on us and, and absolutely refine us so we can reflect him. I don't want to be burnt with the hay, the wood and the stubble. Never, ever blame others for what you're going through. Never blame anybody else. Don't, number four, don't blame others for what you're going through. <laughs> don't, don't complain. You know, Daniel never complained. He honoured God and God blessed him. Full stop. You can pass, you can, it says you can, you can throw your concerns onto the Lord. Go to him with them. Lord, I haven't got promotion. No, because God doesn't want you to have promotion, maybe. Yeah, because that might take you away from him. God, why have you done this? Because if, you, if, I, if I allowed you to go on this, you would have turned your way and gone your own way and lost your salvation and blah, blah, blah. Don't complain. Don't blame others. Number five, God wants to anoint us in ways that we can only dream about. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be absolutely scary. We're going to be hanging on to our pants as we go down that treadmill of life. We're going to be holding on because when this wind comes in, it's going to burn and make us naked. Don't you want it to be fun? You know, before I go diving, you know, I'm, I've, I've done a, a number of dives. I love, I love diving. Um, or, or I love, you know, just I love like lead up to the big build up for the game. I used to love it. But five or ten minutes before going on a dive or, or going into, the, into a game of rugby, my head is usually down the toilet. Because I'm going, oh, Lord, help me. You know, I mean, I, 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 there was just something about, you know, I had this thing that, oh, you know, I was so keyed up and so worried and so, you know, but I'm ready for the fight. I want to go in it, but Lord, help me out. You know, get me through this. Help me get through it. And this is where we're at, Lord. This, this is where I'm at. I've got my head down the toilet saying, God, come and help me. Come and help us, Lord. You know, we're about to go into battle. Come and help us, Lord. Be with us, you know. And as soon as the whistle goes, all of that disappeared. As soon as that whistle went or I was under the water and underneath, you know, all that panic, all that strife, all that. Oh, I love this. I love being in the battle. I love, and this is what it's going to be like. 
How many people are hanging in by their fingertips? Be honest. <laughs> Both my hands up. Both my hands up. You can have my feet as well. I'm hanging in. I'm hanging in. But I want to be like Daniel. We're going to go through. Daniel has got more relevance on us today than you can even imagine. Even imagine. But yet he's going to have a body of Daniels that will rise up and they will stand and not compromise. So Father, I pray now, lead each and every one of us in this room, anybody hearing my voice, Lord, let us stand as Daniel did. Lord, let us live our lives where there is no compromise to the ways of this world. Father, you have set us apart for your purposes, for your plans, and not for our own. Lord, you are, ex- you are able to exceedingly and abundantly do above all that we can ask or think according to the power that's in work in us. Holy Spirit, I pray now, will you come and put even more of yourself on us? And it says in Romans 5 that we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confidence and our hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Father, fill our hearts with your love. To a loveless society and a loveless nation, Father, fill us with your love and send us in to be your love. Lord, send us in as your bondservant, as your representation, as your ambassador right now. Lord, send us in there right now. Holy Spirit, I hope that's you, because I'll take it. I hope that's you. But Father, I just pray now, just absolutely bless us. Pour your fire upon us. Pour, Lord, give us that joy of laughter. It's like... Oh, amen. This is setting up the scene. We're going to go a lot faster next week. We're going to really get into some stuff. Um, but has anybody got any, anything they want to bring? Anything they want to say? Ah, oh, yes, thank you. Yes, thank you, Lord. <laughs> In a way, Daniel reminds me of Joseph. Yes. Because of what he went through. Um, being made slave and he never complained you know he, he was in the prison he never complained he ran away from the yeah. wife of that's Potiphar. the thing I like about Joseph yeah. yeah Joseph woke up in the prison one day and he was in the king chambers by the, the, the evening yeah incredible this is what's going to happen it's going to happen so quick to us this whole transformation this whole thing because folks we want this. Isn't, this isn't this what we've been born for isn't this what we've been created for? Is we've been created for this moment. So don't allow the things and the failures that have happened on your lives stop you from fulfilling the destiny that God has called you to. Has anybody else got something? Pass it back. Speak in so we can get the recording. Um, a few people know this because um, I said it on prayer night on Wednesday uh, that on Wednesday afternoon I was spending time with God and I felt that he said to me that breakthrough was near and that our battle strategy um, was to hear his voice um, and to obey and that his power is in us and then he said behold me and I really really like that 
kind of old-fashioned language and didn't know what it meant, so I had a look what behold meant, and it, it meant see me. Yeah. And I was just like, Lord, that's what I want. I want to see you. I want to see you so much. And then the next morning when I woke up, I always spend time with God as soon as I wake up, and I could, uh, for about a split second, I saw him. I actually saw him in the spirit. So I'm going after more of that. Yeah. And also... Um, there's been a couple of vicars on the television who've said that they don't believe in God. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and it was Steve's mum that told me she'd heard them say it. I don't know what show it was on. And the media said, well, there isn't much hope for the rest of us then if you don't believe in God. <laughs> yeah, but God's having a bunch of people that have not been to theology college, that haven't gone through a system, that have got all this going on us, and yet God is going to have this body of people that are going to stand up as uneducated people of this world, but we will be so educated by the Holy Spirit. So educated by the Holy Spirit. I love it. I'll tell you another thing that we're going to do. We're not going to have any catches. Catches. I hate it. I hate it when somebody goes like this. All right, God's going to really just make sure there's somebody behind me because I'm going to fall. I'm the, the man of God is, you know, and then, you, know, you go, well, hey, I'm back. I, oh, God is, you know. Look, I've seen a man go like this. And everybody gets thrown back. That's God. There wasn't any catches behind them. We're not going to have catches. And I'll tell you now, I will warn people. You're not going to have a catcher standing behind you because if it's God that puts you on your bottom, He's going to look after you. We've got this phenomenon in church that we, oh, let's have the catches. No. <laughs> Where's that in the Bible? Let the Holy Spirit do what he's going to do. There was a good man of God, Nathan Morris. Harley and I knew him before he made it big, before he was on the world stage. We used to go down to his on a Saturday night. And that man literally went like that to me, and I shot back two rows. Oh, you remember that? Shot back, and I could not stop shaking for hours hours now that was God because I'm not that person yeah, I, I, in fact I'm, I'm a rugby guy if somebody comes and starts shoving their head on me I want to go <laughs> well, I won't go down then, you know, get, you know, it's this holy thing can I use you Barry get down you're not going to have that Listen, if it's God and God just, you just point the finger, that person shoots back two rows, you know it's God. We've become the cessationalism church. Oh, look at me. I can't, I can't, can't, can't. Oh, I'm really, oh, I'm, I'm really. No, if that's God, that's God. Let God be God. If that is God, then I rejoice if that's God. I mean, that shocked me sometimes. When we first, when, we, when Heidi and I first met this gorgeous lady, and she started going, Aah! I'm thinking, what is that? But I know it's God. I know it's God. It's the inner groans, the Bible says. The inner groans that come out and manifest. I've got to cry, I've got to shout, because God is on me. But I'll tell you what I'll do. Shabbat. Shabba, what's all that about? Because I've never come across that word, the shabba. Shabba ladies, you know, shabba. You know, mm, and they do this. Shabba. What is that? 
please, Lord, I'm not ridiculing. I'm so not ridiculing. If that's you, then God, you know, Neville told me something. He watched a guy on his hands and knees barking and howling like a dog. And he was about to go up to the man to stop him. And God said, don't stop him. And he said, why, Lord? He says, I'm allowing this man to do this because he ridiculed me and he said that God would be the only person that could make me howl like a dog. It will be him. So he brought the very words that God said to God, you're going to make me howl like a dog, and God did it to him to prove that he is God. But we're not going to have sensationalism break out in the church. Let's be real. Don't listen, you know, if I lay hands on you, I actually put my other hand behind your back. Because I don't want people to fall over just because, you know, we pray for you. You know, I want God to do it. I really want God to do all of it. So if we have people, you know, when the meetings start, we have people coming front, you know, and all the rest of it, I will say, look, we don't have catches in this church. If you go down, you go down on your own. You know, you cannot sue us. We're giving you the warning now. We're doing that. You're going to go down on your own. But we had a lady, can you remember that, Heidi? We had a lady that fell. And we had, I said, I said to these two ladies, I said, please catch this lady and catch her. And they went, they both went like this. And she, this woman went down. But she was, and I knew she was going to go down. I just knew she was, you could see, you, you could walk up to someone, you can know when they're going to go, oh, I'm going to go down. Man, I'm going yeah, to go down. And she went down and she came down right on her butt and hit her coccyx. Really hurt. Really, she had a bad back problem. That's what she was getting healed about. That's what she was getting prayed about was her bad back. And there, there we just made it a double time worse because the, the two catches were going, oh, what are you doing down there? Just let her go. Anyway, a few, couple of, a few months later, she kept ringing us up saying, I need to speak to you. I need to talk to you. I need to. So what's it about? I knew what it was about. And I said, well, just, just tell us over the phone so we know what to pray for. Basically, she wanted to bring a, I believe, a court order against us. Go and get some damages from the uh, from these you know, lawyers who have these accidents. Claim damages, and then she said it, it, she even said to me, "It will have a benefit to you as well." She would, we'll, we'll split it. We'll split it. And I said, "I ain't meeting you." Didn't we? We said we're not meeting you. Do whatever you got to do, but I'm not having a part in it. If it's God, it's God. I love it. Come on, God, it's going to be fun. It's going to be wild. Yeah, but if you make me drunk, then Lord, just carry me back, Holy Spirit, to the car. I love being drunk. How many people have been drunk in the Spirit? See, it's real. It happens. God just does something that you've got no control over. I love it. I love it when I see Heidi getting touched by God. And I know her really, really well. And it has to be God. Because Heidi's like me. She won't do something. Trevor's like me. He won't do something unless it's God. And this is what we're going to teach people. But we have this sensationalism going on. Oh, the more I shake, I must be so much more Holy Spirit-filled than you, because you're not shaking. And it makes people feel really insecure, and, and, and it's not right. It's not right. Just because somebody doesn't go, they're probably more, it's more in there anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Let God do the work. Anybody else? Ha <laughs>
<coughs> yes, Daniel. Daniel, speak nice and loud into it. Ask the question. Oh, okay. Always put a. I tell you, isn't this great? You should carry microphones around when you've got kids. Put the microphone in front of their mouth. Go, mm. what, what's, what's the question? Look into my eyes, Daniel. Go on. You can do it. You can do it, man of God. Come on, Daniel. We've been talking about you all night. Why do people fall down when they're praying? Why do people fall down when they're praying? Is that, is that the question? So when they're out front and they're praying and they fall down. Anybody want to answer that one? Why do people fall down when they're praying? Go on, Trevor. <laughs> um, I think it's because sometimes God touches you, doesn't he? Yeah. And uh, it manifests. Like it, it, um, you feel it in a different way. Sometimes you feel it in your heart. And sometimes it's a physical thing as well. And I've had a situation where, like Andy, um, well, I've had two situations. One's quite funny. I, I was in a, this like, meeting with this vicar who just like, discovered the Holy Spirit. And he was sort of praying for people. And he was praying with, for me, on me for ages with the expectation I'd fall down. Yeah. Oh, I'm not falling down. It's ridiculous. And he just wouldn't go away. So I just, I, I basically faked it. <laughs> <laughs> How many people have faked it? <laughs> go on, be honest. No. Oh, it's just me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's wrong. I hate, you know. But I, I had another situa- experience where I was being um, uh, prayed for, and uh, someone had a word for me. They didn't touch me or anything. And I literally flew back yep. in the air, like literally off my feet. And then, yep. and, and that like happens to me. Band, and I didn't get hurt at all. It was just, yep. it's just, um, it's God's power, isn't it, I suppose? It's God's power. Here you go, mate. I've got the same problem. I've got too bad. Here you go, have yeah. that. <coughs> Thank you, Andy, Tara. I've got a couple of points to make, Andy, while I'm here. Can I sit down, then? <laughs> Only brief point. Okay. Converted churchmen to gyms and flats, like that one at Burley Court, he converted into flats. Yep. That's madness, isn't it? Absolutely. Do you hear that? Churches being converted into flats or gyms. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, you'll see these old Methodist yeah. churches or... Church of England. Yeah, sad. Really sad when you see God's buildings being. I know. I think that's incredible. Yeah. I I know. People vote with their feet. You know, people stop going. 
Has anybody else got anything? Go on, June. It, it, even with Daniel, in Daniel 10, he said, so I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale. I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. And mostly, <coughs> when they speak about, they fall face forward. And That's the right. only lot that actually went backwards was the ones that went in the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. And he, you know, he said, who are you looking for? Uh, and they said, yeah, Jesus. And he says, I am me. And the thing was, they every time they come near him, they all fell back in a heap. But that's the only time you yep. normally go face down. Yep. Except me and poor Patrick, who was getting on in years, and me too. And I, actually, I just went flat. And he... Pat <laughs> he sees I'm saying they're talking about you, and he's going... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just thought somebody was there somehow, you know. And yeah. then poor Patrick, he was knocked onto a chair. <laughs> yeah. I d and I went back, nobody caught me, but <laughs> the Holy Spirit must have. I was no damage whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a light lass. <laughs> and that wasn't that with you. <laughs> poor Patrick nearly knocked out, wasn't he? <laughs> Um, was that when you had your broken arm? Or was that no, 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 I'm not, no, that was the ice, no. <laughs> no, I didn't do any damage then. <laughs> anyway, what we're going to do next week, we're going to go literally right the way through the next, right to the end of the chapter, uh, and then things will start picking up. You know, we'll start getting into the, the real, well, I mean, the, the, it's, all, it's all real. The more I'm going into this, the more I'm realising there is such a similarity between Daniel's choice and day to our day. There is such a similarity. Um, and, yeah, we'll go into a little bit more of that. And then two weeks' time, we'll be into chapter two. So it'll take a few, but we'll get there. Some really exciting stuff. Really exciting. And actually, today Sorry, is right? the fast of Esther, two yeah. days, yeah. and yeah. tomorrow's the feast. And, I mean, we just like... They could be having the same kind of conversations. Yeah. And, you know, and the cry to, out to the Lord because, you know, there was great turmoil. Yeah. And it's like these days, and it certainly was horrendous then, but God came to the rescue. Yeah, well, look what Esther said. Absolutely. It's going to be me. Choose me. I'll go and do it. Whether I, whether I lose my life. Yep. Yeah. It's exciting. It's going to be fun, folks. It's going to really pick up. I promise you, over these next few months, we're going to see such an explosion happening on us and among us. We're going to start seeing you know, new believers coming in, um, new things. And it's one of the things that we're. Yeah, anyway. We're We need to just hang on. Is that right? We need to start questioning st standards. Uh, how things are being run, Andy? Do you know what I mean? You know, like you were saying earlier about Nick Clegg declares himself an atheist. Yeah. Right. 
Why, why should we vote for him? Well, that's what I'm saying. We need to start questioning and challenging, challenging standards. Yeah. Uh, you know, how things, how everything is, you know, everything. Question yeah. everything, uh, standards, because, you know, what are standards? Like you, you, you've said, Nick Clegg declares himself an atheist and that. Yeah. And um, what standards are we living by, as I say, you know, in this society we find ourselves in? That's right. We need to challenge it and question it, you know, debate it all. We, we've got to be walking in it. Yeah. yeah. We've got to be walking in it. Yeah, and making a difference through Absolutely. what we know. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally agree with that. Absolutely. Totally agree with that, Peter.